Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. As I mentioned, today there is a baptism. And I want to speak today a little bit about baptism. But really, baptism is always a good reminder to every one of us in our journey with Jesus of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Baptism is the starting point. And at the starting point of any race, you set your direction. You're on the track, you know which way you have to go. If you're doing the Argus, they set it out for you. You don't get to go off at a funny tangent. No, the track and the path is set clearly for you. But how many of you have deviated along the way? There's one honest person. We'll pray for the rest of you a little bit later. But baptism is a reminder to us of what it really means to follow Jesus. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Mark chapter 16, you'll know it as the Great Commission. Jesus is speaking to his disciples now, and he says to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. The good news that God has made a way for us to be reconciled with Him. And He says, preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I want to say to you, the gospel doesn't begin with Jesus. The gospel begins with Genesis. The gospel, the good news, begins right in the beginning because that's where God created mankind and He created the world and He set them in a garden for intimacy with Him. That was the whole purpose. And of course, we know the story. We messed up. There had to be a separation between us and God and therefore, years down the line, Jesus came to close that gap, to deal with that separation, to deal with the sin that separates us from intimacy with God so that we can once again be reconciled to the love of God, to intimacy with the Father, to enjoy a living and a vibrant relationship with Him. Jesus goes on to say, He says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. When we come to baptism, we are reminded of the covenant that we have with God and the covenant that, we have, that He has made with us through the life and blood of His Son. We're going to partake of that just now in communion. But we're also reminded of the fact that those who have been baptized make a public statement that I am no longer living for myself. I now live a life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Baptism is the initial evidence of our faith in the gospel. As Jesus said, those who believe will be baptized. The initial step. Let me give you a basic definition of what baptism actually means. Baptism or baptize is not an English word. It's a transliteration. In other words, there is no word in the English language to talk to that, that defines baptism or baptize. It comes from the Greek word baptisma, which means washing, or which, which comes from the root, root Greek word baptizo. Is that right? Absolutely. Wonderful. <laughs> and it means washing. It means submersion. And it means to, you know, to, to cleanse, to dip. And baptism points to Jesus' life, and it points to His death, and it points to His resurrection. There's three things that take place in baptism, or, or 
significant symbolisms within baptism. The life of Jesus or the life of the old man, death, and then resurrection again. And it is our symbol of identification with Him. Romans chapter 6 articulates this beautifully for us. And I'm going to turn to Eugene Peterson's version in the message. And he says it this way. Romans 6, we'll read from verse 1 to 5. So what do we do? He's talking about, let me just give you a preface here. He's talking about sin and how in our flesh sin dwells. And there's something in our nature that drives us towards sin. We want to do what we want to do. Sin is not just right or wrong. It's more than that. It's the motivation towards wrong. It's the motivation towards independence. It's the motivation towards, I want to have my way. That's the real root of sin. If you trace it back, uh, if you read what Ezekiel says about Satan in the beginning, he said, I will ascend to the throne. I will make my name like the Most High. I will be greater. It's the self-will that, lo- that seeks its own gain, that seeks its own benefit, that is really the root that, that sin draws from. Now, in Romans chapter 5, Paul is talking about this nature of sin that dwells within our bodies. And in chapter 6, he picks up and he says, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep forgiving us? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how shall we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left our old country of sin behind, and when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. And this is why I say this is really good for us to remind ourselves of this, because along the way, that I will, that I want, has a way of creeping up again, doesn't it? He goes on to say, That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a new, light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new, grace-sovereign country. Isn't that a beautiful depiction? He says the sin nature, the only way that we can deal with the sin nature is to crucify it. It is to kill it. How many of you have tried not to do the wrong thing and found that it's impossible? You can do it for a while. I mean, how long can you go on diet for? Most of us don't need a diet. We need a lifestyle change. Wouldn't you agree? Don't say amen too loudly. That's rude. It's not enough to just suppress the desire all the time. Why? Because the desires are strong. Our fleshly desires are strong. What, we, what needs to happen is we need to die to our flesh. And this baptism is the symbol of that taking place. It is the symbol or the, the demonstration of us putting our faith in Jesus Christ, the death of that old nature, and the resurrection of new life with a new nature within us. You see, when I gave my heart to Jesus, my old man died, and he gave me a nature that desires to do his will. I want to do his will. My man, three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. With the day that you give your heart to Jesus, you become born again, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus. A new creation. Not a refurbished creation, 
It's not like you take your old car to the shop and they pump your ride and they stick on some nice mags, they drop the suspension and, 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 and soup up your engine and put in some nitros. It's not that. It's a completely new ride. It's a completely new life. However, each one of us still struggle in the arena of our soul. What is our soul? Our soul is our mind, our way of thinking, our will, what we want, and our emotions, what we feel. And it's in this arena that, that the battle for our lives takes place. The new spirit of, of God, the spirit of God living within us in the newness of man, at war with everything we receive from our flesh and from our senses around us, and we have decisions and choices to make. And this is why the broken will is so important. To be dead to ourselves. Dead to what it is that we want. Why? Because we're so alive to what it is that God wants. You know, when my heart... I've noticed this, and I'm sure that you'll be able to testify the same. When my heart is set and focused on something that God is talking to me about, I don't struggle nearly as much with temptation or sin as I do when I'm just kind of going about my business. Have you noticed that? When your heart is set on God, sin is not really an issue. Why? Because Jesus has given us victory over sin. But when my heart is not set, set a course, like in the race, you know, on, a, on a focused pursuit, I find myself struggling and often falling into trouble. When you are buried... When one is buried, let's not go, let's not make it that personal just yet. When one is buried, you need something. What do you need? A dead body. Right? And that's dead body that we're going to be burying later. Chama, we're putting you under. That's the old man, the body of sin, our fleshly carnal nature. Baptism is actually a funeral. We're going to be having a little funeral later, but it's great because it's a very short funeral, and then we celebrate. We celebrate resurrection and newness of life. Now, you don't bury a body to make it dead, do you? I certainly hope not. <laughs> you bury a body because it has already died, and in likewise, baptism is not something that makes the old man dead, but it is the evidence that somebody is standing up and obey. it's the first act of obedience to Christ that demonstrates the death of the self-will. Derek Prince says it this way, Baptism doesn't make the old nature dead. It is the outward evidence that the death of the old nature has already taken place. A person who seeks to bring about the death of the old nature by the act of baptism is following a course that is both illogical and unscriptural, and it will not produce the desired fruit. So baptism in itself, as just an outward thing, has no power. Without faith, it means nothing. Amen? But with faith, that work has tremendous power. Baptism is an act of faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ. It is the expression of genuine repentance. Now, repentance has a dirty, it seems to be such a dirty word within the church today. I have discovered the joy of repentance. Repentance for me is something that is so powerful and so beautiful. Why? Because it gives me the ability to turn my heart and my life back to Jesus when I've messed up. When I've been thinking along the, the, wrong, the wrong course and God gives me a revelation, He gives me understanding, 
I can turn from that direction and face this direction. Now, it might be something as small as an argument with somebody that I'm having, and now I'm just on this course of they are wrong, and I'm upset with them, and I'm mad with them. And yet I, God gives me the grace and the ability to now look at that same person who wronged me through his eyes with love and grace and forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is repentance. Forgiveness is turning from every right that I have to be angry and upset, choosing to go away from that and pick a different path. To repent is to change direction. It's to change course. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 38. It says this, Peter's words, let me give you the context again, sorry. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has just fallen upon the group of people in the upper room. They're praying in tongues, and the people around are looking at this, and they can understand what these Hebrews are saying, but it's, 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 it's their native tongue. How on earth could these people know this? How could they speak this language? And they're amazed at how the power of God is being demonstrated. And so Peter stands up and he begins to explain what's going on, that the Holy Spirit is now living and alive and being released and, and unleashed and fallen upon this group of people. And he preaches a sermon to all, the he, to, to all the Jews who are there, and he blankly accuses them of saying, you are the ones who killed Jesus. Your very Messiah, the promised one that you've been waiting for, came and you didn't recognize him, and you put him to death. And there comes the cry from the heart of the people. We'll see it here. Uh, chapter 2 of Acts, verse 37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. So there you have it. Repenting is what? Turning away from uh, one way of life, a self-centered way of life, to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not enough just to try and turn from my sin. Because then where am I going? There's no new direction. It's not enough to try and just give something up in the hope that letting go of that thing will make me a better person and more acceptable to God. The pursuit of repentance is to take my attention and my focus off everything else that is not Jesus and to make it Jesus. To live a life that is Jesus-focused, that I may become more like Him, that I may become the very embodiment and the demonstration of the kind of love that He, did, that he lived. To repent means to give up my own ways, which are inherently sinful, and to follow the, another path. Jesus' life demonstrated this perfectly. He lived for His Father. And He calls us into the same journey. This is what Jesus said. And this is why I say baptism is such a good reminder to us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian or a believer. Luke 9, 23-25, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, let's pause for a moment. Jesus doesn't make any demands on you or me. He has given us the will and the freedom to choose who we will live for and how we will live our lives. Jesus is not forceful. But if we want to pursue Him, He says, this is how you do it. These are the conditions. It's not a free-for-all. Whoever wants to be my follower must give up your own way. 
Take up your cross daily and follow me. We cannot take up the cross of Jesus Christ until we have first denied ourselves the right to call the shots. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life up, for my sake, you will save it. And what, you do, uh, sorry, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are lost or destroyed? Let me give you an example of what this is like, what Jesus is trying to say here. Use your imagination with me for a moment. Imagine a very, very wealthy store owner, famous store owner, Harrods-type owner, comes to you and says, I have this store. It is 14 floors high. We sell everything from cars in the basements. We have restaurants. We have fast food chains. We, we sell fragrances. We do clothing and fashion. We do appliances. We do electronics. You name it, everything is in the, 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 the floor of my, on, on the floors and on the shelves of my elite market, store, whatever you want to call it. And he says to you, I am going to give you the day to roam through my store and get whatever you want. No budget, there is no limit, you have the entire day to, 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 to do what you want to in the store. And you go, wow, it's too good to be true. Man, all those things I ever wanted, I get to do it. Cars to furniture, you name it. Man, I am going to be so set, I'm going to take full advantage of this opportunity. But then he comes to you and he says, but there's just one thing you need to remember. Although you can have whatever you want while you're in the store, and you can do whatever you want while you're in the store, you can't leave with anything. Nothing comes out with you. So immediate thought is, okay, well, forget the TV, forget the car, forget the furniture. I'm going to go to the spa, get a nice treatment. I'm going to go to the restaurant. I think they have a Michelin star restaurant in there. We're going to go try some fine food. And after that, we'll go to McDonald's just for good measure because there'll be one of those in there. And, and we'll just indulge in everything that at least pleases us for the time being and have the day that we will remember for the rest of our lives. Until he says to you again, and by the way, anything you get or anything that you give or anything that you do for somebody else will earn you eternal rewards afterwards. So for the rest of your life, will be paid back to you. Now, how does that change the way you think about that one day that you have in that superstore? Am I going to spend this one day that I have in the superstore to fulfill every desire that I've ever wanted for my comfort and my gain? I'm going to eat myself until I can't eat anymore and indulge in all pleasure? I'm sure you would use that day because of the promise of the rest of your life for good things. If you had any wisdom in you, you'd say, all right, who can I find who has a need here? What can I take off the shelves to bless somebody else with? Who here looks really stressed as a staff member and I can send them to the, the spa and take their place for half an hour while they have a mass? You would be thinking very differently, wouldn't you? But that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. I know it's a bad analogy, but thanks for bearing with me. He says, if you try to hang on to your own life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What will it benefit you to gain the world? In other words, to get everything that you want, to live the life that you want, to have the dreams fulfilled that you have. What benefit is all of that for the short life that we have if we're going to lose it for all eternity? What's the point? What's the point? It kind of put things, puts things in a stark focus, doesn't it? Because we only have this one life. And sometimes it feels very long. 
Other times when you start counting up those candles on the birthday cake, it doesn't seem so long at all. Jesus himself, the God of heaven and earth, creator of all things, didn't live his life for himself. These are some of the things that he said. John 6, 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And what was that will? If you look at Jesus' life, how much love and grace and mercy was poured out through that one man's life? How many lives did he touch? Not just during his lifetime, but ever since and all the way up to it. His life has touched creation from beginning to end. John 4, 34, Jesus explained, My nourishment, in other words, what, what fulfills me, what satisfies me, is doing the will of God who sent me and finishing His work. His whole focus, His whole orientation, was not on His own benefit or what He could gain. His orientation was on the will of His Father. And nowhere do we see this better depicted than in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have the picture of Jesus, who has lived 33 years to do the Father's will. He's had three years of profitable, successful ministry, and he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples are a little way off, and he's by himself in the Garden now. And he's crying out to his Father, knowing that the crucifixion is awaiting him, knowing that he's going to get the beating of his life, knowing that the weight of sin from the whole entire world was going to be placed upon him. And he prays, and he says, God, if there be any other way, Take this cup from me, if there be any other way. You see, it's not that Jesus didn't have a will. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. If there's another way, God, that we can do this, let it be so. And then he utters this incredible word, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Luke 22, Luke 22 42. If it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Nevertheless means in spite of. In spite of what I'm feeling, God, let your will be done. In spite of what I want, let your will be done. This is a surrender and a giving up of what we want. But I want to say to you that the life of a Jesus follower goes beyond just surrender. It progresses from surrender into submission. And here's the difference. Surrender says, okay, okay, we'll do it your way. Submission says, all right, I want to do it your way. Help me to do it your way. My heart's desire is to do it your way. That's what submission is. Submission is beyond just surrender. But it's the aligning of our hearts to the will of the Father. Nothing pleases the Father heart of God more than when we willingly align our will with His. Why? Because He loves us, and His plans for us are good to give us a hope and a future, as He said to Jeremiah. God is love. What does He want for you? Nothing but the best. And He sees the big picture. He sees eternity before we even know it. He sees the opportunities that are coming up in our every single day. He sees the challenges. And what does He want from us? What does He want for us? Victory, success, grace, blessing. Final scripture for now. The Apostle Paul understood this. And we can see in his life the zealousness with which he opposed Christ and then after his conversion, the zealousness with which he 
pursued Jesus and the spread of the gospel. And he says this in Galatians 2 verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. That old self that looked to do what I thought was best according to the law, to persecute all those who followed the way. My own desires and my own will is crucified with Christ. I know it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live, this, I, I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that incredible? Paul had said, he understood it. I no longer live according to my own will. I live entirely for the will of my Father. What a life. And you wonder why it is that he was so successful, so uh, powerful in the spread of the gospel and the call that God had on his life. He accomplished the will and the purpose that God had placed on his life. Why? Because he wasn't living for himself. He was living for and unto his Father. Perhaps you've never responded to God in this way before. Perhaps you've never said completely, God, I want to surrender my will to yours. Or perhaps you have, and along the way you've taken it back. Perhaps you're in a place where you realize, my will is not submitted to God's right now. I'm pursuing things and I'm focusing on things that I know are not His will for me. Or perhaps you're even just here and you're saying, I'm not even sure of God's will for me. I don't even know why I'm here. I want to say to you that today is an amazing opportunity for repentance. Today is a wonderful opportunity to say, Jesus, I've been living for myself. I call you Lord, but I don't live like you, Lord. I want to turn and I want to change the orientation of my heart. This is the decision that karma is demonstrating before us today. This is the decision to say, Jesus, you are Lord. I am going to follow. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.